Hey, we're going to the extreme today. We're going to talk about extreme treks on BBC Earth with the host, Ryan Pyle. And we're going to be coming back to him. This is a great interview. We just get into a lot of different things. Talk about his time in China, when he, how he felt safe, when he didn't feel safe, what he got to eat, what he didn't like to eat. I mean, all kinds of different things of how he's turned this into a multi-million dollar franchise around the world and doing what he likes to do. So how do you start from basketball? and get into the TV, you're going to find out by listening in. But before we do that, I want to talk about my good friends at Liberty Tax, because have you ever thought about being your own boss? In fact, Ryan and I talk about that in the show, being your own boss and how great that is, but it's got its issues. So, but how about owning a franchise? You want to talk about a sure thing? Here it is. Give the folks at Liberty Tax Service a call with more than 20 years in the business of taxes and franchising. Liberty Tax can give you the flexibility that you're going to need in your life and it puts you on the road to owning your own business. And I really like these guys a lot. You know, they've been a sponsor of ours, but I go to their conventions. I hang out with their folks. I, I stop and talk to the way the waivers out in the street. I really love these guys. So go visit LibertyTaxFranchise.com or give me a call and I'll be glad to put you in touch with them. So, hey, our, our next guest was born in Toronto, Canada. In a real metropolitan city. Now, Ryan Pyle spent his early years close to home, and he spent years and years being a basketball player for a number of years, got a degree in international politics from the University of Toronto, and then he realized a lifelong dream and traveled to China back in 2001, and then went on to live in China, and then started working uh, for the New York Times and for Fortune, and became a photographer, and then after you know, everything blew up with the economy. He said, no, I, that's dying. I got to get into TV. And man, has he done it with these award-winning shows, award-winning, best-selling books, and now Extreme Treks on BBC Earth. It's, it's a great show. He takes us all over the world, and it is a multi-episode television series for major broadcasters in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Asia, which is including in China, and all over Europe. Everybody, please welcome my new friend, Ryan Pyle. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Okay, so my first question is... You went from international politics in your background. Did that lead you to the traveling? Absolutely. You know, when you take a course like international politics in university, it just gets you curious about the world and how countries are structured and how people live in them and what their cultures and religions are like. And, and that definitely got me thinking and, uh, and traveling kind of led me to, to further education. So you went there at University of Toronto in Canada, and of course, you know Toronto is a very metropolitan, cosmopolitan kind of city. A lot of international influence there. Did you have an area of study that you had in international politics? I did, yeah. So I mainly focused on Asian, uh, Asian culture, Asian history, with a kind of a more specific focus on China. And then that, that was actually how I got into to moving to China and living in China uh, for so many years. Did you did you speak Chinese before you went there? I didn't. I didn't. But if you if you let me take a step back, so what happened to me was sure. from the age of eight to the age of twenty two, I lived and breathed basketball, and I played Division One basketball in Canada for the University of Toronto. By the way, yeah, not many Canadians would say that, right? I'm mean, seriously, because I mean, you think when you think about Canada, we think about hockey, maybe, but not basketball. 
No. And, you know, I was ridiculed for much of my life because I was a terrible skater. And, you yeah. know, to be a terrible ice skater uh, as a Canadian is is beyond <laughs> embarrassing. So, you know, and, and quite a few of my friends that I went to, to school with, they they went on to play in the NHL and stuff like that. And, but I loved basketball and I couldn't skate. And And one of the things you learn is that when you when you grow up playing sports at a high level, at a, at a competitive level, you don't, you don't end up being very well-rounded. You don't end up with a lot of other interests. And, and then as my basketball career started to come to an end and I wasn't good enough to play professional, I started thinking to myself, like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And now that basketball is no longer going to be a part of it. And, and then I, that's when I started to get the travel bug. That's when I started to get really curious. And that's when my international politics and my China classes started really coming, coming to the surface as being you know, legitimate ideas for travel and career opportunities. Did you, did you like spending time in China? I, I did. I, I, you know, I've, I've been living in China since 2001. And it's been incredible. You know, I went to China without a job, without speaking Chinese, without knowing anyone. And I started writing and taking pictures for local magazines and then, you know, worked my way up to working with the New York Times, Time, Newsweek, Forbes, uh, Fortune for almost a decade until the financial crisis in 2008, which kind of really put the finishing touches on the publishing industry and kind of destroyed that industry to, you know, to what it is today, which is not in great shape. And then and then that's when I moved into television production, uh, and I've been making television now since 2009, 2010 for people like Discovery Channel and Travel Channel and Amazon Prime. Yeah, and I want to get into talking about your show Extreme Treks in just a few minutes and, and some of the others. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just amazed that you just picked up and went to China. You don't see that often, especially with no job. Did, was that hard to be able to break in into China? It wasn't hard. At the time in 2001, there were not a lot of, you know, foreigners living in China. Yeah. Yeah. China was actually much less comfortable than it is today. Like, you know, there's a lot of modern conveniences. And, and where I live in Shanghai, it's, it's very Western and cosmopolitan now. But back in, in the day, it wasn't. But it was an adventure, you know. I mean, I, I spent my whole life playing basketball. And then now that was over and I had no identity. I was having an identity crisis. I was a little depressed. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just wanted like a clean, fresh start. And I thought there's no better place in this world than a clean, fresh start than living in a city with 30 million Chinese people. Well, and Shanghai is one of those cities. I, you know, I've been there many, many times for business. And you think back to 2001 to what it is today. Today, it looks like a scene out of the Jetsons. You know, uh, that cartoon because the buildings go one way or they got bubbles on the top. They got, you know, it's the architecture there is unbelievable. You sit there on that on that bank of the river and look across and, and it what is it? It's grown. I mean, like a million people a year. It has. Yeah. And a lot of it's been domestic migration. So people coming in from the countryside, people coming in from secondary cities to kind of find their own dream. Um, and, and, you know, China with its economic growth, uh, obviously it's not been equal and, you know, growth for all, but the people who mm. had, had had the chances to move into the cities uh, in the last 20 years to start businesses, to buy properties and things like that have done really well. And I've had the front seat, you know, to that experience, not only living in Shanghai myself, but also covering that story for, you know, major U.S. publications for almost a decade. Was, was it tough, though? I mean, didn't did the Chinese give you a hard time? I mean, you, you, when you first got there, I would imagine they would have back then. Because I, I know what it was like when I was in my heyday there of 2006, 
2010. You know, I was there quite a bit. Um, we, I was uh, an officer in a major Fortune 100 company, so it took me to China. You know, numerous times a month. So was, but wasn't it difficult for you when you first got there? No, not at all. Really? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, with, they had these these visas that you could get for one or two years. Uh, I actually think, in many ways, at that time, it was easier to kind of show up in China and find your own way than it is today. Today, you know, the visa restrictions are quite strict. Doing business in China is quite strict. They don't want a lot of people there who aren't really working. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was okay back in the day to show up and maybe teach English for 10 hours a week so you can pay your rent and then write for a few different newspapers and magazines and take pictures on the side and kind of be free to to make mistakes and, and try to build your own career. Whereas now, you know, the cost of living is so high in Shanghai and the, and the restrictions are much more difficult. And that was, that's another thing too. That's a one reason why I, I went to China is because I was looking for a place to go that was full of stories that was totally different than where I had grown up and a place that had um, relatively reasonable living costs so that I could find my own way without having the financial burden that um, a lot of my friends were kind of experiencing when they first graduated university. When you say find your own way, were you lost or, or what do you mean by that? Would you know, find your own way in terms of life, in terms of business, in terms of fortune, what? In terms of everything, you know, like I said, the, my my life from eight, from the age of eight to twenty two was totally structured around mm-hmm. four hours of basketball a day. Mm-hmm. You take that out of your life, and you know, you feel like the heroin addiction is gone. Like you, yeah. Now you, what? Yeah, yeah. Now and, what? Yeah. And you have all this energy, and you don't know where to put it, and it can be incredibly destructive. And I just really felt lost. Like I, I was looking for a new identity. You know, I had been a, a basketball player. I had been a, a student athlete. You know, I had, uh, you know, my whole life was structured and now it wasn't. And and that really hit me hard. And I don't know what other student athletes feel when they don't have the opportunity to, to pursue their athletic dreams in, in, a, in a professional realm. But, but I was, I really struggled with it. And I, and I knew I didn't want to work in an office and work kind of in that traditional nine to five environment. I knew I was looking for something different. And I thought that China would be the place for me to find it. So, uh, you know, lost, unsure. I knew I was interested in the creative arts. I knew maybe I wanted to try to be an entrepreneur in some way. And and eventually that, you know, those things kind of came together. Mm -hmm. Did your parents think you were crazy? Oh, yeah. My parents thought I was crazy. Everyone thought I was crazy. You know, my first trip to China was in 2001, and I did a 90-day trip around the country by myself, you know, traveling by train and by bus. And at that moment, I hadn't, when I was planning that trip, I hadn't decided to move to China yet. And this had this was just after uh, 9-11 happened in New York uh, City. Uh, it was September 2001. I made my first trip. I had graduated in May uh, the same year and worked through the summer at a, at a consulting company and then uh, to save up some money. And then I went to China right after 9-11, spent three months traveling around and I loved it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't speak the language. Uh, I had a lot of difficulty communicating. I had a lot of difficulty getting things that I needed, but it was humbling. And, and to yeah. be honest, it was the first time in my life when I was like legitimately humble mm-hmm. and where I had to rely on the help of other people to get you know, things done on a daily basis. Yeah, just li- just little stuff. I mean, it's the little stuff too, right? I mean, it's like finding a bathroom or, you know, or where can I go sleep or how do I get some food or where can I exchange this money or, you know, those little things like that. 
Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, and, and as we go through life, we realize that there are different versions of us, you know, there's us as fathers, there's us as, mm-hmm. as, as sons and daughters, there's us as parents, you know, but this version of myself that was a traveler, this version of myself that was in a country that I, you know, was basically illiterate in. I, I like this version of myself the best. And, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to make whatever I do in my life happen here, because this is the part of me that, that, that there's something about me that is coming to life while I'm here in this environment. And that was something I wanted to try to give myself time to figure out. You know, I always like to spend time on the basics like that. So I always thought that was kind of like a core because that kind of led you to this whole extreme Trek stuff, right? Where you just go off and do it. And that's led yeah. you to this entire business, the show, you, which you now have on BBC Earth, and I'm not sure wherever else, but I know it's in Canada, UK, Asia, China, Europe, it's everywhere. So fantastic. Congrats for you, because that's a, I, you know, being in television myself, I know that's a difficult thing to pull off. So congrats, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you're right, you know, going to China without a real plan, um, taking those risks, it definitely leads to being an entrepreneur. It definitely leads to finding ways of doing things yourself. It definitely builds confidence in, in risk-taking, which I think is so important in the business environment, in, in all elements of life uh, and work. Mm-hmm. Did you, by the way, in your, in your Chinese experience, was there ever a time when you were not safe? You didn't feel safe? There were certain situations. <laughs> there were certain situations where I was working with the New York Times, where the local government officials were putting us under a lot of pressure when we were trying to do some reporting. Uh-huh. And that was a cat and mouse existence yeah. Yeah. that still exists with the Chinese uh, authorities and foreign media. And that that's maybe something that will never go away. But since I've kind of moved into television, you know, I don't have to deal with those realities on a on a daily basis. in In my everyday normal life, as a as a simple resident of China and as a simple traveler in China, I would have to say that China is probably the safest country in the world to travel in. Yeah, you know, you you will always have a pickpocket. You will always have someone taking advantage of you if you leave your phone in your back pocket. But uh, there's no physical violence to to speak of in China, and uh, and no handguns or you know any kind of uh, weapons of any kind. So traveling around in China was just a dream. Although most people would don't know that they they have riots there, they have lots of uh, disturbances that go on that we never get to see because of the media, you know, really suppresses it. You know, and or that you know little things that you don't know. Like when I used to fly in on the corporate plane into Beijing, we'd land at the same airport that was built for Richard Nixon in that historic 1972. Right. Um, yeah, and I would be in the same waiting room, you know, waiting for our police escort to go into the city. And right. that our and, and everything that I did was monitored by the government. Everything. Oh, really? And, oh, yeah. So you know, in the business side, certainly. I mean, you know, a lot of people like to believe it. You know, China is a really free country, and I think you know it's got some elements of being free, but a lot of it's you know, some people say, well, they're always stealing our technology, they're copying this, they don't protect copyright. Well, they're doing it for the state. I mean, the, right. the businesses are owned half by the state. So, of course, that's what they're doing. And you just have to be very careful. I was assumed that every time I was in a conference room and the people that were waiting waiting on us were working for the government. But, that you know, you just little things like that. Now, I'm a former government employee, so I'm a former U.S. Senate and House staffer. So I kind of looked at it like that. Did you, you Did you ever notice that people wave to you with two fingers in China? Yeah, sometimes they do. They give that kind of peace sign. And you know what that's from, right? You remember that? No, what that's from? So if you remember when Richard Nixon stepped off the plane in China, what did he do? Peace symbol. Yeah. 
And that was the that was their first. And I ask officials about that because I always wondered because wherever I was at, they recognize Americans. They could recognize us one because we look different, but two, but typically, or I guess Canadians too. But they'd always wave us with two fingers. I could never figure out why. And so finally, I ask. Uh, I asked the former vice premier, the uh, number two woman, a number two person. She was a woman in in China once. I said, you know, I can't remember her name, Madam Kim or something. And I and I remember I said to her, and I said, why do they do that? And she goes, because that's from Nixon. Because right. the the first times they saw the you know these white you know, white guys uh, that ever showed up in the country, he would wave like that, and they assumed that we all wave like that. And so right. whenever I would go out, you know, like when I was there for the Beijing Olympics or when I was there for other other uh, things, especially out in the rural areas, because we had plants in some of these cities, Xiamen or wherever it might be, the island or whatever, and and they would always wave to me like that, and I always thought, wow, wow, that was and, and it was universal. You know, but anyway, that's where they said it came from. Sorry, the side note. There we go. A little bit of trivia that we don't need to know about, I guess. But but, but, but fun. So tell me about the, the 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 show now. What do you what's what's in store for the show? Extreme Treks on BBC Earth. Well, so the the television career kind of came out of the financial crisis and the and yep. the kind of the the crash of the publishing industry and the newspapers and magazines that were all kind of hiring me to document China kind of collapsed and and you know writing and and photography rates dropped significantly. So I decided that I really wanted to still tell stories and I wanted to move into television because I felt like that you know that kind of genre of storytelling still had, you know, a long way to go. So my first television show I made was actually called Tough Rides China, where I rode a motorcycle the whole way around China, 65 days, 14,000 miles, uh, six part series on Travel Channel. And I actually set a Guinness World Record on that uh, adventure for the longest motorcycle trip within one country without backtracking and overlapping. And the reason I did that, because I wanted to show people a little bit of greater diversity of China. Mm hmm. That was definitely a result of my career in, in news and the media world because I felt like I was doing a lot of the same stories again and again. And then I thought one way to show people the kind of China that I get to see every day is to ride a motorcycle around the whole country and meet people along the way and show everyone the diversity that the country kind of has. And that was a very popular show. And then I got to do another one in India and another one in Brazil, also with motorcycles. And then uh, you know I started to get some freedom in being able to choose my own projects and, and come up with other ideas. And then I came into this extreme treks idea which is, you know, exploring the world on two feet, uh, unplugging, leaving your mobile phone and your laptop at home and having a real honest moment out in nature. And now I walk across deserts and I climb mountains and uh, do all of this with local guides and, 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 you know, visit local villages and just travel and explore parts of the world that I've never been before and also have these very physical, physically challenging uh, experiences. What's your favorite country? My favorite country? Mm-hmm. I still think, uh, I still am biased. I still think that China is probably my favorite country still to live in and my favorite country to tell stories about because I have now traveled, you know, around the world filming my Tough Ride show and my Extreme Trek show. And I am still blown away by traveling in China with the amount of people and their unique stories that you get to meet, plus just the, just the epic, epic wilderness that exists in China. You can still get out. You can still walk for eight or 10 days in China and be in the middle of nothing, uh, which is amazing. And there's not a lot of other countries in the world that kind of offer you that kind of epic isolation. And you can do that in Sichuan province, in Tibet, in Yunnan, and in Xinjiang province, these Western provinces, Qinghai yeah. province, uh, Gansu province, this Western part of China, which most people don't know is just totally empty and full of minority people. Uh, and uh, and it's quite wonderful. So you know, I still, those are, those are still my favorite places to go off and explore. 
Yeah. So which part, I was going to say, which parts, which part of China is your favorite part? So my favorite part of China is Xinjiang province. That's the northwestern region along the border with, you know, Kazakhstan and Pakistan. And I actually spent eight years photographing uh, that region in black and white. And I published a book a few years ago. It's on Amazon. It's called Chinese Turkestan, uh, which is uh, the historical name for that region. And all the people out there are Muslim and they look more like uh, Tajik and Kyrgyz and Kazakh than they do Chinese. It's this real Silk Road region. Like, you know, for your listeners out there, if you close your eyes and imagine what the Silk Road must have been like in the in the 17 and 1800s or, or even before that, you know, that's this part of the world. It's mosques, it's deserts, it's camels. Um, and it's very visual and very beautiful. And, and that's still my favorite place because, you know, in the morning you can be trekking in mountains and in the afternoon you can be uh, walking across a desert and, and the landscape there is spectacular. And I filmed one episode of my Extreme Trek show there. And I also went through Xinjiang province on my Tough Rides motorcycle adventure. So it's a, it's a part of the world that's very, very close to my heart. Did you ever do any hunting and fishing out there? No, uh, I've never been hunting in my life, actually. Uh, and uh, I'm not, I have done some fishing in Canada, but I wasn't very, very good at it. But I'm sure it must be out there. Yeah, well, certainly, yeah. Well, the, I've always wanted to go up to the Mongolian area. The, you know, and I don't know what province you would call that, but that's my, under, my bad understanding. But because of the, the kind of nomadic, more the horses, I, you know, I'm kind of a cowboy, so I kind of like that. I've always wanted to go ride the ponies out there with those guys. Yeah, that's amazing. And and what I've heard is that area in northern China near the Mongolian border is very good for fly fishing as well. Yeah, exactly. That's the other piece. I love fly fishing. So both of those things I've always wanted to do. Yeah. What's your favorite? I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite? Now, all the foods that you get to eat, what's the, what's the favorite one you've ever had? So I was in Morocco and I was filming an episode of my Extreme Trek show in Morocco and we were down in Marrakesh and, and one of the things we do in each episode is we start in a city and then we move to the countryside and we, and we do something you know amazing in, in, a, in a remote part of the world. But we always start off in a city. So I was meeting one of my good friends, uh, Reda, uh, who's a local Moroccan, and he took me out into the Marrakesh night market, mm-hmm. which is just amazing. And we had, uh, we had sheep brain. Yeah. And sheep eyeballs. And uh, of course, we're on camera doing this. And, um, and it was it was quite fun. So maybe not the best tasting food I've ever had in my life. But, uh, you know, definitely challenging my own senses of, of comfort and uh, and the texture and, of the food and the uh, was a little bit difficult at first. But you know, you add some olive oil and uh, you add a little bit of bread and, and you, you force it down and you, you smile for the chef and, and you make a friend along the way. And that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, sometimes I think they always like to try to gross you out to see what they, hey, what would this white guy do? And uh, exactly, you know, like we're not eating that crap, but let's be at this guy. No, but they, they eat, no, but most, most cultures, they eat everything, right? Yeah, they eat everything, especially in China. Yeah. So I always like Mao's pork. I don't know if it, what you would call that, but I, I always known it as Mao's pork, which is almost just like pure fat. Right. Oh, I love that dish. That was like one of my favorite dishes wherever I went. Yeah, China in China, you know, it's a delicacy to have more fat on a piece yep. of meat than actual meat, and uh, and a lot of and a lot of the meat also comes with uh, a lot of bone mm-hmm. uh, connected to it, and you know they'll make soup out of the bone, and uh, and the bone is part of the delicacy as well, which is totally the opposite, um, you know, in the U.S. culture where you know you want a big slab of meat and you want you know a little bit of fat for flavor, but it's got to be you know meat, and the less bone the better because that means you get more meat, so yeah. it's. <laughs> 
so that you know it's very quality quality driven maybe in the US but in China you know they find flavor and delicacy in in different combinations well, and it's, it's, well, it's also much better for you, too. Did you ever find a time, I, I, this will be a lesson for everybody listening in, because I'm I'm sure I know the answer to this, but did you ever were served or given something, you go, nope, not doing it? <laughs> what, you know, oh, what's a, what's a good example? So I've never come across uh, any, like, endangered species. Yeah. Where, you know, people are eating, like, the gallbladders of endangered animals or anything like that. Rhinoceros or something, yeah. Yeah, that's never happened to me. But I've pretty much eaten everything that's sure. ever been offered to me, as, as you do. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that was the lesson. See, I, I figured that that would be the case. Right? And you, yeah. seem, like, you, you seem like that kind of guy, and I'm that way as well. Look, these people, what they eat is different than what I eat, but I'm okay eating whatever they eat. And, 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 and it's polite. And, yeah. you know, by and large, you're not going to die because, you know, I've been in situations in, in Japan or in Asia where they've given me something off a of fish that I'm going like, man, there is no way I like to eat that, but I'm going right. to eat it. You know, it's move. It's still moving on the plate, you know, and right. and and you do it. And I remember one of my team members, it was a president of a company we just bought. And he goes, I am not eating that. And he said it out loud. And I just yeah. politely leaned over to him and says, you're going to eat it or I'm going to make you eat it. Because we were right. with, the, you know, we were with these wonderful, wonderful people and they were, they were showing off for us. And, yeah. and I just, that that's a good lesson, isn't it? Is that, is that kind of a, th- a rule that you kind of have, like, you know, to be polite like that? Or is that just Canadian? Being Canadian, no, it could be. It could be being Canadian. Look, look. I mean, you you have to. If you're going to be a traveler around the world, you need to decide if you're going to be an agent of change or a conscientious observer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've decided to be an observer, and that might come from my journalism background or just the fact that I've traveled so much that I try not to have a strong opinion about things. And then and then once you've decided that you're going to become an observer, you need to walk into every situation like you're visiting your grandma's house. You might be exposed to a few things that are going to raise some eyebrows. But, you know, you take it in stride because you're a guest there and, and this is the way things have always been done. And, you you know, when people offer you stuff, you eat. When people want to drink with you, you drink. And, you know, they might have opinions that you don't agree with. And uh, but, you know, you don't you don't shut them down and you don't tell them how it is. Right. Because you have no idea about their history, their culture or, or less experience about this. So you just kind of have to you know, smile and say, okay, that's a really interesting opinion. I might not necessarily agree, but I think I can understand where you're coming from. And you try to, you know, you try to be, again, just polite uh, because these people are hosting you. Yeah. Uh, they're taking care of you. They've reached out and found something in you that they want to connect with. And, and really that's one of the most beautiful things in this world. And that's something we're missing more and more each day with, you know, digital communication and dig- digital technology and social media, where you can have an exchange with someone on a social media platform and, and mistake that for actually meeting someone. Which is which is just you know not possible, and that's kind of what my extreme trek show is about. It's about you know getting out into the world and actually seeing stuff and actually meeting people, and and putting yourself out there, not necessarily in risky situations, but but just putting yourself out there to 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 challenge your own ideas of who you are and what you are and and where you f- are comfortable, and then the the personal growth and the the maturity and the confidence that comes from those experiences. Yeah, but doesn't being that observer, being that that what I would call very just be, being polite, you know, <laughs> being a human being—that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, but doesn't that make you an agent of change? I mean, th- doesn't their opinion of you change, or your opinion of you, or the country, or the West change when you're in those situations and you're you're not just being observant, you're just being human? 
you're just being human. Yeah. And, and you know what? Human beings have different points of view and different values and beliefs, uh, whether, whether you're talking to a Texan and, and a Californian or whether you're talking to a Canadian and a Moroccan yeah. or whether you're talking to a resident of Dubai or, or a resident of Moscow. You know, we're all human beings and we all believe in different things and we've all believed in, you know, in being raised in different ways. And, and I don't agree with a lot of people, but I'll, I'll still share a meal with them and talk about mm-hmm. these things because without dialogue, you're nowhere. Uh, without right. dialogue, you're way further down, you know, the in trouble than you'd ever be. So I love having conversations with people that I don't necessarily agree with because it's it's good to again maybe not be an agent of change, but be just a be an agent of understanding. Yeah, understanding. understanding. Yeah, just to just, to be able to walk in your shoes. I mean, you know, in the U.S. right now, I think we're in a really bad spot because we are not being very tolerant of the debate. And I think healthy debate's a good conversation. Even if I disagree with you, totally disagree with you, I'd love to at least keep the dialogue going because at least we're not reaching for the button to push uh, in on a nuclear warhead or whatever it might be. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's that's real, real important. Did you? And, and, and just like I assume, you, we, we find great people in in countries. We also find real assholes too. Um, sure, no matter where you go, right? I mean, you've had those Absolutely. experiences, I'm sure too. Yeah, I mean, you know, one there was one guy. There was one guy in Kazakhstan one time when I was hitchhiking, and uh, I, you know, I was I was hitchhiking, and I got on the back of his truck. And then he drove me for a couple hours and then, you know, he got, we got, he stopped somewhere in kind of the middle of nowhere. And then he just tried to ask a bunch of money from me. Yeah. Shake, um, kind of ex- ex- yeah. shake me down. He thought that I would bend uh, and that I would be scared because he dropped me off in the middle of nowhere. And I said, no. And then I just picked up my bag and started walking. And I, yeah. and then, you know, he kind of sat there for 10 minutes and then he came back and picked me up and then, you know, he gave me kind of what was the expected rate. And yeah, the guy was a bit of a dick and he shook mm-hmm. me down a little, but then he came back and picked me up and we, we, you know, we carried on and we shook hands at the end of it. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of people treating you a little nasty is, is, is economically motivated. And, 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 you know, if you're willing to kind of put that aside or get past it or, or call someone's bluff, you know, there's a handshake in it at the end. And he learned a little something about Canadians and I learned a little something about, you know, Kazakh truck drivers. Yeah, <laughs> which is always good. Always good. Yeah. So what's what's next for the show? Where are you off to? You're in Dubai today, but uh, are you filming something there or just doing some other business? I'm just doing some other business in Dubai at the moment, uh, but we're looking at getting back into extreme treks later this year, or early next year. We're just waiting for some corporate partnerships and some funding to come through. And then, yeah. you know, we'll be off exploring the world, Central Asia, South America, Africa. Um, you know, the world is our oyster. We try to film on five continents every year. We try to get out to all the best places. In January of this year, I was very fortunate. I had the chance to climb Aconcagua, which is the highest mountain in South America at 23,000 feet. We filmed an episode down there. So there's nowhere we won't go. Yeah, that's just crazy. That's crazy talk. <laughs> hey, man, we, we filmed the whole thing in 4K yeah. and we flew the drone at the summit at 23,000 feet. Our little drone was working. So, you know, not only did we climb it, but we had to be fully functional and actually, you know, get an, get our episode done because that was really the end of our episode. And, and I was doing it with this famous Argentinian climber who became a good friend of mine. His name is Max. And uh, he was with me the whole time. And, you know, the bond and the relationship that we had during this climb is, is an important part of the show. And then for, you know, for us to leave at midnight and uh, and then climb all night in the dark in the freezing cold and then make it to that summit at sunrise was... Um, yeah, it leaves tears in your eyes just thinking about it. And that's it was a, one, of my, one of the highlights for sure. So we're always going out into the world looking for these moments, looking for isolation, looking for physical challenge and looking for, you know, strong relationships, strong cross-cultural relationships. 
Well, we thank you for it, and I appreciate it. And I, listen, I want to have you come out to South Dakota. You talk about extreme treks. Come on out to South Dakota, you know, my home state. And uh, we'll have to, you know what? I, don't, I was just trying to think, what can we put you through? Of course, there's the Badlands, but you could, you'd hike through that in a day or two. But then, but then I keep thinking, you, you know where I would love to have you is at the Buffalo Roundup. We'll put you on the back of a horse and you help round up buffalo that we do. It's the only, it's the largest herd in 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 the U.S. in the world of um, American bison. We should have you do that. That'd be amazing. And you know, for 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 your for your listeners, I did film an episode in the United States. It was about two years ago. We filmed an extreme treks. We filmed in Glacier National Park. Oh wow! In the southeast corner of the park, in the dead of winter, we filmed in March. There was like a six or eight foot snowpack. We filmed around the Two Medicine Lake area and we were doing snowshoeing in Glacier National Park in the winter. And it was like, it was about minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit every day. There was snow coming in, there's moose and bear. It was incredible. So we have done some pretty tough stuff in the US, which was great. But the the bison roundup sounds incredible. I mean, how do you, how do you get in on something like that? I'll have to follow oh. up with you after this. Yeah, I'll get you in. No problem. I got, I got, I got <laughs> friends. I got friends. I know a few Buffalo riders. So, and uh, it's one of those cool things to do in your lifetime. And if you can ever, I mean, where do you get to do that? Of course, the film uh, Dances with Wolves was filmed here in South Dakota. And of course, we're very proud. So, hey, listen, Ryan, we got to have you back. I have to have you back over to your next trek. Although I, I won't be joining you on any of these treks. I'll be watching you on TV and I'll join you afterwards for like maybe a glass of limoncello or maybe some port or a, a scotch, a good scotch afterwards. I'll, I'll be holding those for you. So what a pleasure to have you right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you very much. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned, and I'll tell you what I learned. Find your own way. That was what I kind of circled in the conversation that I had with him. Ryan talked about finding his own way, and you heard me ask him, is it was in business? Was it in life? Was it spirituality? Was it in love? You know, all those kind of things you can apply to it. So how do you find your own way? And, you know, a lot of people say, you know, the self-help books, I'll tell you, you got to do this, you got to do that. But, you know, do it. I always tell everybody, do it the way you want. Find your own way. It might not be the best way, meaning you could have done it this way, made more money, could have done it this way and found a better love life, could have done it this way and, and had more peace in life. But you know what? You did it your way. And that's, I think, what's in, most important in life. I'm a real believer in the independence of that and finding your own way. So that's what I think the lesson I have today. So whether it's in business and love and life and spirituality, uh, friendship, find your own way. All right. That's what I encourage you to do, my friends, because if you do that, I think you'll live a happier, healthier life and hopefully, you know, a prosperous one, too. So that's it for today. Uh, right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. I want to encourage you to please, hey, leave us a, a rating on iTunes and all these other places that we're at and tell everybody else. Uh, tell a friend about the show because that's how we grow. That's how we get more people listening to us. And I hope you certainly like today's show with Mr. Uh, Ryan Pyle. And that's all I've got today. And thanks so much for listening right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel on C-Suite Radio.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.